and welcome to episode two of the Obsessive Viewer podcast. My name is Matt Hur. I'm at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. And joining me today is Anthony Ramian, who I call Tiny, or at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. Today we're going to put on our contrarian hats and discuss some of our movie and TV opinions that go against the grain of the general public. But first, Tiny, what have you been watching? Uh, as far as television goes, I've been watching HBO's flagship series, Oz, so far. Uh, it's been really interesting um, just to kind of see how, how, they, how the cable, you know, they went about finding their format because it's only, they only have eight, eight episode seasons, right. which is kind of different, um, different than the format I'm used to now anyways. Yeah, um, and that was the first HBO series? Or first? I think it was one of the first, if not yeah. the first um, and it kind of, it sounds weird to say it, but it kind of established them as a really like graphic yeah. and like hardcore <laughs> provider, you know, content provider, because it's a pretty right. rough subject. The, yeah. The show takes place at a state penitentiary called Oswald State Penitentiary, okay. which they call Oz for short. Right. And uh, it's kind of about a specific block of the prison uh, that they called Emerald City, and it's sort of an experimental place where they... Okay. They have a different way of jailing the prisoners. Um, it's just really interesting to watch them all interact with one another. Um, mm -hmm. It's got a great cast. The acting is good. Uh, writing is top-notch. It's a really good show. I'm liking awesome. it a lot so far. Nice. So, uh, yeah. J.K. Simmons and Harold Perrineau yes. are both in that. Harold, yeah. Harold Perrineau being uh, Michael from Lost. Yes. Yes, the guy who yelled Walt for five seasons. Yes. Yep. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, speaking of J.K. Simmons, it's kind of the... The uh, role to put him on the map, really. Really, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was like in his forties or something when, wow. uh, when he finally got. That was kind of his big break, and it's it's kind of strange seeing him in it because he's like a real hardcore white supremacist. That's right. I remember hearing about that, and I kind of like I kind of want to see because I mean I'm only used to him from pretty much the most recent stuff he's done and comedies wanna, and stuff. Really, yeah, yeah. yeah. he's it's a funny. very comedic actor. The farmers insurance commercials and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's a really good show. Um, yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, awesome. It kind of speaks to me because I'm a criminal justice student. Or right. I'm I so was. glad you started. You continued after saying criminal. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So uh, what have you been watching lately, Matt? Well, um, I think you know what we're going to talk about now. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, we both watched Under the Dome, the series premiere uh, last night. And uh, I, I for one, I loved it. I, I, I liked it a lot. I think it showed a lot of promise. And um, mm -hmm. the one thing that struck me about it was I've, I've been saying for the past however long that it's, it could potentially be the next Lost. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Bold statement. Yeah, very bold statement. Losing <laughs> listeners by the second. Exactly. But what, what struck me about it was that the opening scene had – Barbie, the main character, the protagonist of the show, uh, burying a dead body. And mm -hmm. I thought I thought it was interesting because in, uh, I can't remember, Blake Snyder, I think is his name, he, he penned this, uh, he coined this screenwriting rule that's called Save the Cat, which is basically when you're writing a screenplay and you're introducing your hero, you have to have him do something heroic at the start. Okay. Uh, like saving a cat so mm -hmm. that the audience has some somebody to root for something to root for to, to get behind him and i can tell like gradually we're when we're getting into the um getting into the more popular anti-hero shows with the shield and um sopranos uh, sopranos yeah. breaking bad um and house of cards now mm -hmm. that we're seeing a shift in like we're not saving that many cats, <laughs> and uh, and granted, Barbie does go on to save a kid from a falling piece of debris. But I just thought it was interesting that, and this is going to sound hokey and corny, but I thought it was interesting that they basically he basically buried the dog before he saved the cat. Huh. And it was just in comparing that to Lost because I've been making uh, comparisons to Lost and, and Under the Dumb. We all have. Is that of course? Yeah. <laughs> um, there. At the beginning of Lost, we just have Jack running through the jungle and saving people from from the wreckage. So it's kind of it's an interesting dynamic shift from 2004 with Lost and 2013 with Under the Dome, and you can kind of tell how audiences are more forgiving and 
such. And then there was there was some there was some other good stuff. I really like Dean Norris. Oh, he's it. great casting for that role. He's he's perfect casting. And yeah. the uh, there was a scene with him and Jeff Fahey, Fahey uh, who played Lapidus on Lost. Again, another Lost reference. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Dean Norris he he plays Big Jim Rennie. He's basically in the book. He's a power hungry. Uh, dictator, tyrant kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, I'm hoping that they stick to that at least gradually throughout the series. But there's a scene involving him and Jeff Hay where they're basically talking about they're, they're both in on some secret some secret thing uh, that's, been, that's a big mystery now involving propane, stockpiling propane. And Dean Norris plays it in such an interesting way because in the book, uh, Big Jim Ren- Rennie was more like he was more aggressive, and he plays it more like a politician. In right. that, like there was a scene where where he was talking to the, the sheriff, and he said he, he was t- telling him to uh, settle down, and because you don't want to you don't want to mess up your heart or your bum ticker is what he called it, and he right. says it was such a such a Fake, genuine yeah. concern, but you can tell that it's that it's a threat, and yeah. I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing that character play out. I think that was my favorite scene from the premiere too. Was the discussion that they, those two had? It was pretty oh, yeah. pretty powerful. You know, it's just two guys standing in the hallway talking, but yep. there's a lot of power behind it when you got really good actors like that. Oh yeah, and shrouded in mystery, which I I like. One of the things I love loved about Lost is that it just has. It had this this mysterious element to it, and I think Under the Dome could could go that way. Yeah, but uh, you know, again, we're comparing it to Lost. Um, mm-hmm. I think you you made the point that it was the mystery is pretty strong, kind of like Lost, but the mm-hmm. characters, yeah, like it, it's kind of like you said, you know, Jack, you know, he was an established role. You knew exactly what you were getting, right. and you were you kind of invested in them from the get go. But these characters, I think they might take a little. Take a little longer to build, I think. I think so too, and I think one of the things that Lost had going for it was that the production value on the pilot episode was just so massive, and they they had a two part pilot episode that was essentially worked as a great a great big well produced TV movie, mm-hmm. and they had that to kind of go off of. And Under the Dome's only had a forty two minute episode so far, but I'm I'm I have high hopes. Yeah. I have high hopes. Um, and just shameless plug, I've been I'm gonna I'm planning on reviewing all of the episodes this season on the blog at obsessiveviewer.com. So be sure to check that out if you're interested. Awesome. Uh, Tiny, what kind of movies have you been watching? Um, I've watched a couple movies lately, but one that I wanted to talk about was uh, This Is Forty by Oh yes, Chad Apatow. It took me a while to watch it finally. Yeah, it did. Again, Lost. They- <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I didn't even think of that. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> People are. Uh, we're going to be sick of it. Oh, yes. But uh, the reason I think it took me forever to finally watch it is because mm-hmm. you kind of, you know, Judd Apatow's a comedy. He's, he's, he's comedy-based, but you gotta, he's, he's very specific. You've got to be in the right mood to watch an Apatow comedy. It's Absolutely. Like his, for some reason, he's gotten the habit of basically just making these two to two and a half hour long comedies, which is yes. pretty much unprecedented when it comes to comedies. It and, is, especially you know, like... Maybe it's maybe it's more more likely in an R-rated comedy like the stuff he specializes in. Mm-hmm. But it's also also what struck me about it and also Funny People and um, some of his other other ones is that they take um, they take a serious situation and he basically injects comedy into it. So this is forty is a marriage just kind of staling out basically. Mm-hmm. And that's when he puts the humor in it. And that's, I don't know, maybe I wasn't that huge of a fan of This is 40. I liked it more the second time around. But I just think that I'm not 40 and I don't have kids. So <laughs> maybe I just couldn't relate to it. But Yeah, I, I kind of, you know, I being in my mid-20s, I kind of viewed it as almost a warning, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> exactly. it, it kind of solidified some of my opinions that, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have kids and right. you know, I really want to get into all of that. but. At the end of the day, I think they're actually a pretty charming family. You know, that they really are depicted in the in the movie. Every family has their problems. Yeah, every marriage has its problems. Um, 
Plus, those are some pretty bratty. Well, at least the older one was pretty bratty. Yeah. I don't know if that's a typical 13-year-old girl or not. But yeah. Well, geez. any 13-year-old girl that's that big a fan of Lost is just <laughs> unprecedented. But Exactly. I do say, I, I do think, speaking of her, that Maude Apatow, I really think, judging from her performance in, in both of the Apatow movies she was in, and I think she could. I think that if she chooses to, when she grows up, she could. She could be a. She could be a pretty dominant force in the comedy world. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Another Kristen Wiig or something like that. Yeah. Maybe. yeah. Oh yeah. And she's maybe even dramatic too, because when she was, it was one of my favorite scenes of the movie where she, she the family's supposed to have a big party, and she decides to watch the finale of Lost. Yes. That day, which is a super <laughs> emotional finale. Right. And she's just cowering in a corner with her iPad watching the finale and just bawling her eyes out and it's a really funny scene but she played it as perfectly straight dramatic she really and just really reacted that way and i was i was impressed there's not a lot of you know teenagers who can act that well absolutely so, i absolutely agree i enjoyed the movie you know it had, it had its flaws and you got to be in the right mood for apatow but it was, it was it was a good movie so yeah nice. but um uh, what uh what kind of movies have you been watching lately well i uh I watched this movie on Netflix last night called And Now a Word from Our Sponsor. And uh, I purposely huh. kept Tiny in the Dark about this so that we can talk about it here on the podcast. I'm curious. It stars Bruce Greenwood, which oh. was one of the main reasons why I watched it. It's kind of a kind of a drama comedy where he plays this brilliant ad exec who suddenly suddenly wakes up in a hospital and can only speak in ad slogans. <laughs> so, right. So the premise sounds pretty funny, pretty unique. Yeah, and it it just didn't deliver for me. Uh, it. I mean, Bruce Greenwood is amazing. There's a scene where he's at a uh, car dealership, and he gets into like a Camaro or something, and he just spouts off the entire ad, <laughs> and it's just in. It's Bruce Greenwood. He's amazing. He was in the, yeah. the Star Trek movies, and um, he was the president in National Treasure, Book of Secrets. He's a really underrated actor. He really is. Opinion. And he has a very, very distinctive voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, just seeing him spout off ad slogans is, is really, really funny. But the movie, I just it just didn't work. So was the movie actually a comedy? It, it was, but it was presented more like a drama than anything. There was a... And there was a there was a plot line involving this this British guy who I actually tweeted it. He looked like a British uh, Chris Hardwick, <laughs> but he played by Caleb Blue, I think is his name. And he plays the like the head of the ad agency who is trying to steal Bruce Greenwood's job on, on the grounds that he's not mentally fit to run it or whatever. Mm. It's just kind of weird because he's not mentally fit to run it <laughs> clearly, and it's kind of I mean it's like okay what's are we supposed to root against this guy or or what but yeah. it was kind of it was just kind of kind of bland it sounds I, like it needed some script work maybe it really did, and honestly it just it really would have worked better as like an s n l sketch yeah that, rather than a movie, and the ending was just okay for our listeners, if you guys have watched Arrested Development season three. The Rita storyline with uh, Charlize Theron, uh, she, there's an episode called The Ocean Walker where she <laughs> pitches to where um, maybe is an ad, an ad exec, or not an ad exec, but an, a movie executive. And she is talking about her script problems with Rita, who is a mentally challenged woman. <laughs> um, and she pitches to maybe that the movie should end with them walking across the water. And maybe it's like, yeah, that's that's brilliant because people are going to be like, what what the hell did I just watch? That <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna say that I liked it so that I don't look like an idiot. And that's like, it, it's literally how the movie ends. It mm. not with walking over water, but it's that kind of thing that it's just out of nowhere. Like, what did I just watch? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's strange. Yeah. Huh. It, it was kind of it was kind of weird. I don't I don't fully recommend it or anything, anything like that. Um. I remember a couple of years ago, Bruce Bruce Greenwood was in a really, really great movie that was, it was kind of a indie flick. No, not enough people saw it, but it was. Uh, it's called Mao's Last Dancer. Huh. It takes place in like the, yeah, it takes place in like the seventies, and I think it's an actual true story about a, a Chinese dancer. You know, and this was back when, I mean, China's still communist, it's still a communist right. country, but they were much more restrictive about letting their citizens leave the country. Okay. And so he he goes to study abroad. He's a dancer, like a like a top of the line, like Olympic level dancer. Um, wow. And so 
this Chinese guy befriends Bruce Greenwood, who's a, a teacher, like a professor at like a, it's kind of like the Juilliard of dancing or something like that. I'm okay. not, I'm not sure. I don't really remember exactly, but Bruce Greenwood was, in my opinion, he was like Oscar, Oscar level good in that movie. Like he nice. was, he just blew me. Like you could, you could barely, like you, you mentioned he has a very distinct voice. You yes. couldn't, you couldn't recognize his voice because Really? His, his character was a gay man. He had a very high-pitched voice. Okay. And it, seriously, you could barely recognize him from, oh. you know, when he played JFK in 13 Days or right. when he played the president again in, <laughs> in the uh, National Treasure movies. Yeah. So, but yeah, he, that's if you ever, you know, find that movie, check it out. He's really good in it. It's a, it's a good wow. movie, too. It's, okay. it's fun to watch. And it's called Mao's Last Dancer? Mao's Last or? Dancer. Yeah. Okay. It's a cool awesome. movie. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, shall we move on to our main topic? I believe we shall. I'm excited about today's topic. Honestly, um, for me personally, I'm just not the kind of person that can do a top 10 list of favorite movies or favorite TV shows. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I just, we just watch way too much stuff and it's always changing. So, right. and I wanted, I wanted our second podcast to be a good introduction to our tastes and stuff um, and how we feel about certain things. So I thought it would be kind of fun to make everyone hate us as much as possible <laughs> before that basically movies that movies that we love that everyone hates tv shows that we hate that everyone loves and vice versa across the board um and i just want to want to go through go through how we buck the trends of common opinion okay how our opinions differ and things like that yeah okay sounds like fun (laughs) um so shall i start please all right well this is going to be a big one that i should preface it with by saying that it's not it's not quite that I don't like these movies. It's just I don't get the massive fandom, and I should, because it is the Star Wars movies. Ooh, Star Wars. Yes, I am just not that into them. Opening a whole can of worms Yes, there. it's. I think that the problem was I was just too old to really appreciate the kind of the more, more child-based things. Um um right yeah lucas always said that he he was geared it towards family yeah yeah the more yeah yeah, i think i watched it when i was a teenager and just the magic of seeing it as a kid was just lost on me and i was too old to really live vicariously through that magic okay um yeah and i just remember you're wrong but yeah i I get it (laughs) of course of course (laughs) or maybe not but um but I just remember staying home from school with like vhs copies that i got from the library and I was just bored out of my mind. <laughs> and it was, I don't know, it was, I don't know. And and I've tried to watch it again, and I'm going to try to watch it again. But, I mean, honestly, since then and now, Lucas has murdered any chance of me liking it when he made the prequels. Yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone on that. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love seeing discussions of uh, future or long ago, um interplanetary politics and and peace treaties and and taxes and all that i mean you can only take so much of that enthusiastic action yeah don't forget that it was all you know spoken by the most monotone voice coming out of natalie portman that you could possibly imagine yes oh she oh senator palpatine (laughs) jeez speak up i know right Ah. But I will say that I'm very eager to see what J.J. Abrams does with Episode 7. Nice. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I wasn't a big fan. I wasn't. I had no affiliation with Star Trek or any, any kind of, any kind of thing, feelings about it. And he just made me love his movies, like right. Star Trek, the, the lens flare movies. <laughs> um, but I will say that it will take a lot to make me forget that Hayden Christensen is in my Return of the Jedi DVD. <laughs> which I do own the DVDs because uh, I've wanted to like them, but I just don't. Such a travesty. It really is. And I'll I'll keep you guys posted if you're still listening uh, <laughs> when I rewatch yeah. it. So. And I, I get what you're saying about kind of getting hooked on it when you're a kid. Because I remember yeah. getting hooked on it when I was a kid. I was like seven or eight years old and I was in a toy store with my parents and... I saw an action figure of Jabba the Hutt, and I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and you know, my, my dad was like, oh, it's from a, a movie. And I was like, I need to see that movie right now. Wow. And I think I watched it, you know, maybe I was a little young then for it. I think if you're seven, eight, you might be a tad young. Yeah. Just to get all the themes and everything. So I think I, I first watched it when I was probably like nine or ten, and I was just hooked automatically. And 
Yeah, and you know, I'm with you on the remastered ones. I refuse. I don't. I've never seen them because I refuse to watch them. Right. I remember you mentioning yeah. that, and that's. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't think you're missing much. But then again, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. Right. But I will say that, I, and this is going to just like anger a lot of people or, or upset them. Like, and if you guys have any feelings on this, you know, feel free to comment on the blog. Yeah. But I prefer A New Hope over. Uh, um, Empire Strikes Back. Wow. Yeah, I just think that thematically it's a better movie. Huh. Um, it's not... I don't know. I just like it more. The hmm. whole being on the Death Star and being all secretive. I don't know. It, this is pending a rewatch of it, so... It's, it's a little a, simpler, too. It is simpler, and simpler. it's... I mean, people say that Empire Strikes Back is darker, but... Uh, and it is darker, but... I'm, I don't know. It's going to sound weird, but it's not dark enough for me. Like, I keep hearing, like, oh, it's a dark movie. But, like, in junior high, I was rewatching Saving Private Ryan over and over again. So my definition of a dark movie is a little different. <laughs> True. But wow. I don't know. I think, I think with uh, Empire, people just focus on the reveal, you know? Yes. The spoiler alert, Darth Vader is <laughs> Luke Skywalker's dad. Yeah. And it's, it's the greatest reveal in cinematic history. I mean, there's no, nothing that really compares to it. Yeah. And... It's such a huge moment in the whole, the whole pantheon of Star Wars that people focus on that, and that's why they love that movie so much. But I think if you kind of separate it from mm -hmm. that, it's I think they're they're pretty you know A New Hope and Empire are pretty similar movies, really. Yeah, they're about the same. I agree. I don't think it's so much better than the other ones, but right. it is my favorite. I you know I can't lie. Okay, so um, cool. all right. Well, what's what's your first movie on the uh, list? The first one on my list is kind of it's kind of weird. You might not be expecting it, but it's actually the Riddick series. Ah, um, yeah, the Chronicles of Riddick series. Um, and you know, I know calling it a series is kind of bold because there's only <laughs> two movies, right? And technically, the first one, Pitch Black, is and you're saying you're a, a fan of them. Prequel. I'm a big fan of them. Um, actually, the whole series. Um, it's mostly the character more than anything. Richard Riddick is. Mm -hmm. I think he's part of what I love about it is that he's a textbook example of an anti-hero, he in is, my opinion. That's true. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he doesn't even like people at all, let alone <laughs> just being a bad guy or whatever. Um, that's what I like about him. Um, and I think I don't think anybody would disagree with me on this, but Pitch Black is is the better of the two movies that have come out so far. Um, okay. It's pretty underrated, in my opinion. I don't think. I don't think it's held high enough in the whole sci-fi community. I think it's a really good movie. I think it has a dedicated fan base. It's a cult following right. of it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Cole Hauser, and he's, he's in it, right? Yeah, he plays the yeah. antagonist, sort of. Yeah, so I'm, I, I don't know. I'm trying to get past the fact that the guy's name is Dick, Rick, Dick Riddick. But <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, it's a little bit of a flaw. I can see that. Yeah. So. Well, it's just kind of funny, but yeah. Um, and also, um, it's, it's been said by... Ben Diesel and David Toohey, who those two actually own the rights to the whole story. Right. Um, they've actually said that they they always viewed Pitch Black as a, like a prequel to the actual trilogy. Okay. And so the Chronicles of Riddick film, the second one, is actually supposed to be the first installation of the trilogy. Ah, and, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. I thought that it was. I thought the Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick and Riddick were supposed to be. That's what I thought too initially, but that's actually that's actually their plan. And, and apparently, they actually have the scripts written, or they have wow. like outlines written. I've heard I've heard Vin Diesel in interviews where he's like, "Yeah, we have the scripts locked up in a safe in David Toohey's office, wow. and that's where they keep them." And that's it's always been they're they, they're just constantly trying to get funding for the right. the two movies. <laughs> but unfortunately, that the Chronicles of Riddick movie wasn't wasn't as great, didn't do as well. So. Yeah, have you I, seen... I'd still like to get them made. Okay. See, see him get made. Have you seen the trailer for the third one? I have. It's coming out. What do you think of it? I'm kind of excited for it just because it's coming out finally. But honestly, like the, I haven't even read like the description for the plot. But it looks like it's basically just a rehash of the opening scene for Chronicles of Riddick. Okay. Where Riddick's just on some distant planet and some mercenaries are trying to hunt him down. It looks like the whole okay. movie. That and sounds like you're pulling. It does sound good. Plot, but I'm not saying it doesn't sound good. It's just that's that's the exactly what happened in the opening scene of Chronicles okay. of Riddick so and that was a cool part of that movie but I don't know it seems like they're kind of tripping over themselves a little bit so right. yeah I, I like the series it's not I don't think it's amazing it's no Star Wars <laughs> but uh but it's it's really I just I really connected with the character so okay that's what I like about it that's cool yep all right um next on my list is a movie that you and I both love and we're both we're both fanboys for this director, um, Sunshine. 
Nice. By Danny Boyle, uh, starring Killian Murphy. Such a great movie. It's amazing. And Again, another underrated sci-fi film. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, it's really underrated. And I can understand some of the complaints that people have of it. It's kind of a... Kind of, kind of borrows a lot from other sci-fi movies, particularly Alien. Um, and it's it, the the third act kind of gets into kind of a slasher movie kind of mm-hmm. thing that kind of can be off-putting. But I think that overall, I just I think it's a really great, well-done movie, and it's a very interesting plot about um, seven astronauts on a on a ship headed toward the sun. They have they have like a big atomic bomb strapped to the front of it that they're basically flying it into the sun because the sun is dying and so they're basically rebooting the sun and it's set seven years after a previous outing that where the crew just disappeared like no one heard from them Mm -hmm. so it's kind of this mysterious kind of kind of sci-fi horror element to it that's that's really interesting and there's also this underlying theme throughout it that it's uh like like uh, two of the characters, Kaneda, the captain, and Searle, the uh, psych officer on the ship, they have this unhealthy obsession with just staying in the observation deck of the ship, um, the aptly named Icarus, mm-hmm. Icarus 2, actually. Right. Um, they're just on the observation deck just looking at the sun through a, fil- through a filter. And the closer they get, they, they have to adjust the filter to not you know burn themselves alive. <laughs> but they just have this fascination with it. And I think that that's a great way for the movie to illustrate the central theme of, of science versus faith and how, because that's what the whole movie is basically about. Right. And it's just a really well, well put together thing. Um, it was a collaboration between Danny Boyle and, uh, and Alex Garland. Alex Garland. That sounds right. Yeah. The, yeah. Who they, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they, the pair teamed up for 28 days later, which was one of my favorite favorite movies of his and of the zombie genre. Yes, I'm calling it a zombie movie. It is a zombie movie. We'll <laughs> get to not, that. Let's not get into it. We'll get into that Whole at a later date. <laughs> yeah. So I just I just really liked it. It right. was it was it was great. I've watched I've watched it probably more times in the past four years than anyone else has. <laughs> except for Tiny. Yeah. Um, um yeah. and I think that's another movie of uh, another case of just a really well rounded movie because it's got it's got every element that you want for a sci-fi flick. It's got absolutely great cast. Um, everybody's just beyond stellar in it. And mm-hmm. Danny Boyle can do anything, literally. Oh, he's, yeah. He's the Swiss Army knife of directors. <laughs> he really um, is. And, and Alex Garland just has, he has a way with structure, with plot, with dialogue, everything. He's they're, they're oh, just yeah. the, top, the top of their field, in my opinion. Absolutely. And what I love about Alex Gar- Garland's writing is that he splits it up so evenly be- between acts, like both, both, Sunshine and 20 Days Later, there's very clear act breaks, and it's right. very, each act kind of has its own separate tone. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not an easy tone. thing to do, really. It really isn't, and yeah. it can easily come across as hokey or, or mm-hmm. amateur, but it's, it's, really, it's really a good, good when it's done by him. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So yeah, I just, I just really love that movie. Um, it's a good one. Yeah. I agree. What's next on so, your list? Next on my list, this one's a little bit different. Um, what I'm going for here is, let me, let me just ask Matt, what... When you think of James Cameron, huh. what movies do you think of? I what movies do I think like of? What you know, like his flagship movies? Okay, if you well, will. let's see, Titanic and Avatar, <laughs> um, Terminator, Terminator, Aliens. yes, Aliens, yes. And I think ninety percent of people who actually know who James James Cameron is, which right. is probably ninety percent of the planet, right? Uh, they would go with those movies as well, but. I, I feel like I'm on the outside here. My favorite movie of his is actually The Abyss. The Abyss, yes. The Abyss, and I think I just I love that movie because I think it's I think it's James Cameron's best, literally. Um, I will agree with you on that, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And but then again, I am not a James Cameron fan. Right. I know, and I I take a lot of issues with the guy as well, but mm. I still think he's really visionary as far as directing goes. He is. Um, he in is. My opinion. He's he's a he's a visionary of special effects. He's an right. incredible with special effects. He just needs to just stay away from the typewriter, stay away from the word processor <laughs> he because does. his scripts are just atrocious. They really are. I agree. And, uh, um, and I think I think what elevated the abyss is just first of all the setting where it takes place. You know, like yes. I think for those uninitiated, why don't you tell us what the abyss is? That's about? a good point. You should probably do that. Um, <laughs> the abyss is basically about a. Uh, a deep core uh, oil drilling crew that they actually take a, they go on this rig 
it's not a boat, but it's a rig that sits on the ocean floor and it drills into the earth to get an oil line going so they can yeah. set up an oil derrick out in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so it takes place, um, most of the movie takes place on the ocean ocean floor, yeah. which again, is a very unique setting. And so what happens is there's a, a submarine that wrecks nearby where this rig is. Okay. And these this team of Navy SEALs go down to this rig and kind of use it as a base to try to go, to try to go, uh, retrieve some information and some of like it's it's a nuclear sub that's carrying okay. warheads and stuff like that so that's kind of where it takes off is this the clashing between this you know just basically they're they're a bunch of roughneck oil drillers on the bottom of the ocean and these <laughs> team of seals show up so yeah that's kind of what the movie's about and it it turns out there's this really cool sci-fi twist to it where yes. there's these aliens essentially that are basically just living on the, o- the ocean floor at the bottom of this really deep ridge um, on the bottom of the floor, um, and so I think on the, on the, uh, the ocean floor, and uh, I think that's what makes it such a unique film. Is ninety percent of it takes place underwater, which just imagine the nightmare of filming underwater. Oh yeah, um, you know some of it. This this rig that they live in is you know it's it's obviously not just underwater. It's it's underwater, but it's you know the capsule or whatever. Right, but, it's very confined. Right, and I know you have a problem with. Claustrophobic situation. Yeah, I do. Like, that, that movie scares the crap out of me a lot. Yeah. So, and I think uh, the characters are are better developed than a lot of James Cameron's other characters. Not, yeah, I mean his character is pretty good. You know, Jack Dawson was a cool character. He was a cool character in a movie that had just a really, really far fetched romantic plotline for me. Right. I thought it yeah. was just like, oh, hey, he saved her. All right, he, and it's like they, they talk about it, and we're going on a tangent here, but we'll go back to the abyss in a moment. But in Titanic, like, they're talking about, oh, oh, we're in love and everything, and Kate Winslet's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in love with them and everything. And it's like, dude, you met him three days ago. Mm, and, yeah, and, like, when, he, when he's, when Jack is, when um, um, Cal, Cal, Cal uh, accuses Jack of stealing the diamond, and uh, he's like, oh, no, Rose, you know I would never do that. You know I'd never do that. It's like, dude, she met you three days ago, and you already got her to cheat on her fiancé. It's <laughs> like you to, like pull back a little bit, bit on it and realize that you don't have the kind of leverage or the, the I don't know. It's, it's Clearly just... you've never been in love, Matt. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Open your heart. Yeah. Well, I love Sunshine, so. <laughs> nice, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's a textbook love movie. Yes, yeah, so, um, yeah. <laughs> but my my but point to the yeah, my my point was that James Cameron can make good characters like Jack Dawson or Kyle Reese, you know, cool characters. Yeah. But I think I think some of his best examples of characters are Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio from from The Abyss. I think their their relationship, how they hate each other and love mm-hmm. each other, their exes. I think they they both had good chemistry and worked off each other well. I will say so. that that's one of the best roles that I've seen Ed Harris in yeah, I think so. by far. Right. And uh, as a side note, when we were talking about this off the air, um, Tiny was trying to remember uh, Dennis Hopper's name. Oh, jeez. And he went through, like, he, he, was, he tried for hours, like, about a solid hour trying to remember Dennis Hopper's name. <laughs> and he asked me what the, what the first initial was, and I was like, D. And he ran through every D name you can possibly think of. David. Dennis, Derek, or not Dennis, but Derek, David, Derek, Don, Daniel, Dylan, Daniel, Demetrius, and it was just <laughs> yeah. like, I was just like cracking up, so that was, was a funny so, thing. I was so upset. Yeah. yeah, it was a funny thing to bring up on a podcast when it didn't happen <laughs> on air, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah. with the, the Abyss, I think the, if you haven't seen the movie, the little spoiler here, there's a scene where uh, Mary Master Antonio's character drowns, and then... Ed Harris's character has to swim, carry her back to the to the rig, and they revive her. And it's such a powerful, powerful scene. It's just very tense, very chilling. Yeah, it's it's hard to watch. It's really hard to watch. Um, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing scene. And also, last thing I'll say about the Abyss is it was it was literally a visually groundbreaking film for its time because yes, it, I think it was it was literally the first film to ever use CGI, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. I yeah. think it was like that, or or maybe maybe the very early stages was uh, or maybe it Altered was states. I think maybe yeah, that's a little, I forgot about that. Like the I know you're a big fan. I like that film too. Yeah, but yeah, but this I think this movie really 
broke it through for the public so they could you know it was a big movie that a lot of people yeah. saw and i think it was it was this that film was pretty instrumental in letting people know that cgi is okay and you know right. what it could really do yeah so that's why i like the abyss more than other james cameron movies yeah so, yeah. so if you're looking for a movie that james cameron did that takes place that involves water in some way watch the abyss or <laughs> pretty much any other movie of his <laughs> oh man <laughs> we should do just a james cameron episode we just should. let matt vent because oh he, yes i have he feelings. could fill a book with his issues oh, with yes. james cameron ah oh man he's not gonna be a guest on the podcast <laughs> i say while sitting in sitting at a table in a house in speedway indiana yes <laughs> spark plugs yeah go plugs so what's next on your list Matt? well i'm gonna switch it up a bit and go with the tv show and alienate nice. even more listeners Ooh. uh particularly i have to give a shout out to my friend mike who he's he's gonna be he's gonna be a guest on the podcast soon i'm sure but I already feel like I, I feel like maybe he might think I'm attacking him for attacking Star Wars and this next title, but I'm not. It's all in good faith, Mike. I love you. <laughs> uh, but the TV show is Dexter. Oh, Dexter. Yes. Oh, oh yes. Geez. We share the we share the same opinion on this show. Yes, and you followed it for a lot longer than I did. I, I did. will say first off that I only gave it seven episodes, and wow, seven. that's six and a half more than I should have. <laughs> Because, holy crap, first of all, I went in with the expectation of there being, it, it being a very, a very dark um, anti-hero mo- show about a, a serial killer who is hunting other serial killers. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to struggle with his, with his inner demon, his, his, whatever he calls it, the, the dark passenger or something, whatever, it's, whatever it is. But what what threw me off so much at the beginning and turned me away from the show was the vibrant tone of Miami and how it's like a very Cuban feel and very, very colorful and everything. It just, it just did not mesh with what, what the tone of the series is. I mean, the dude is murdering people and we're seeing fast cuts of Miami nightlife and it's just, (laughs) it's just, I didn't like it. And then, like I said, I gave it, yeah, I gave it, I gave it seven episodes because like, uh, like my friend Mike, he's, uh, he's one of my closest friends and he, he swore by it and I totally respect his opinion. I'm not trying to downgrade his opinion because it's a very popular show. It just wasn't for me. But like another example is the plot of season one, Dexter is being taunted by this ice truck killer who Mm -hmm. kills women and chops them up in ice trucks and all that. So he's being hunted by, or he's being taunted by this guy, and we don't know who he is, don't know anything about him. I swear to you, the, first of all, it's an interesting plot, but the second the actor appeared on the screen that the ice truck killer eventually became, uh-huh. I just knew it was him. Right. Because they were writing for him. Like, yeah. they, they gave him something that was like, the, like, they wrote for Dexter and his sister, and then also Dokes, which that's a whole other bag of... <laughs> Like I'll go on character. a I'll go on a tangent here. Dokes yeah. equals bad writing. Oh man, he was terrible. Yeah, season one, first episode, he hates Dexter because of his intuition. Uh, but instead of using like subtlety, they just they just put it on the they write him on the nose like, oh, I hate you, Dexter, and I don't know why, but I'm gonna I'm gonna you know make you mad or something whatever. There's no depth to it. There's no depth at all. There's yeah. no subtext. There's just it's right on the surface. And then there's yeah. this whole plot line where. Uh, this cop and uh, cop's wife gets killed or something, and it turns out that Dokes is was having an affair with the with the wife of the cop, I guess. And he goes off he goes off the grid to go after this drug kingpin who's responsible for for the murder and all that. And so he's about to murder this guy in cold blood um, off the grid when all of his cop friends show up and they're like, "Oh yeah, this was a setup. We set you up to get us close to close to the kingpin and everything." Uh, just ignore the fact that a police officer was about to murder a man and that the entire case would have been thrown out in court. But whatever, we got some character development shoved down our throats. Right, character that no one liked anyways. Yeah. Ah, so I gave, it, I gave it seven episodes, and my parting thought on Dexter is that ask anyone who their favorite... Oh, the, by the way, narration is a crutch. I can't stand it. Oh, it's it. terrible. And that just seems like so... It's like... It almost never works out, really. Yeah, and they're showing us rather than telling us his feelings. And right. it's a very complex character, I will admit that. And it's a very dark character, at least it should be, despite what the show shows you. But And they just tell us how they how he feels, and it's just such a turnoff for me. But ask anyone who their favorite character is, and by default, it's Dexter. 
And I, I don't know. I mean, I know that it's... Well, I mean, the show is called Dexter, so... Yeah, but, I mean, I don't, I don't watch Boardwalk Empire and think, oh, that Boardwalk is my favorite character. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's just poor writing, wow. in my opinion. It's that just, would be a totally different show. It, it really Boardwalk would be. Boardwalk Empire starring the Boardwalk. <laughs> yes, it would, be, it would be a tragedy piece because the Boardwalk would be just stepped on by all these people. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's uh, hilarious. Yeah. I'm with you on Dexter. It was... I think I watched like five seasons. You did, didn't yeah. you? Yes. Oh my gosh! It's and it's still going. It's like the sitcom of dramas. It's ridiculous. Uh, why does that? Why? Why yeah. would you give that? Show I think they so have season? one more season. Right. I think they're doing that. Yeah. This yeah. Last one, which but. and I think one season. Uh, what is what's her name? The the her his sister. That's like. Yeah. It's it's his adopt his adopted sister, so it's weird that it's not weird that they have sexual tension. <laughs> <laughs> she like finds finds out that he's a serial killer once she finds out that she has feelings for. I don't. Uh, I don't care. Yeah, me neither. I don't care. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Well, uh, I'm gonna end, I'm gonna end off uh, end up or wrap up my list with the TV show as well. Oh, nice. Um, but I'm kind of I'm not necessarily hesitant to bring it up, but mm-hmm. uh, the show is actually Friday Night Lights. Which uh, I know you you were a big fan of. And You're fired. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go. But uh, well, it's your house. So. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, like most of the, most of the people that watched it loved it, and they're just people who consider it literally one of the best shows ever. Yes, that's where I have a big big bone to pick with right. everyone that loves that show. Me too. And I don't think it's even close to that. And I think I don't I don't even have really specific examples of what I didn't like about it. I think it's just the kind of the overall theme that I don't think I can really relate to teenagers anymore. Yeah. Even though I'm not, I was only a teenager, you know, eight, nine years ago, but still, I just don't think I can relate to them anymore. And even, even in this show, I, I used to play football. I played football and right. I, I loved it. It was some of the best time of my life playing football, yeah. but for some reason, I, I don't know. I, I think part of it is the writers just didn't make the characters real relatable for adults i guess uh, compared compared to other other teen shows and movies you see you yeah can, you can still true. relate to some of those characters but yeah for some reason these i just couldn't i, I just couldn't get involved with for some reason hmm. um it, and it, it just wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad show it just just yeah. wasn't it wasn't the best ever yeah it certainly yeah. wasn't it's very very overrated yeah. I will say that I loved Kyle Chandler in it. I loved his portrayal as Coach Taylor. Coach yes. Taylor. Coach Taylor. Um, <laughs> but, and I have an impression. I'm not going to do it. But anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it, I, I I liked it too. And I followed it through. Well, I followed it on Netflix, I mean. But it just, and I made this comparison. I wrote about it on my blog, obsessiveviewer.com. Um, shameless plug. Basically, shameless plug. <laughs> so, it it felt like, and I know we referenced the show last week, I did, but it felt like Dawson's Creek if Dawson played football and wasn't annoying as hell. <laughs> um, yeah. But, and it, because it, 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 it was a teen drama, and right. they did some things that were a little crazy, a little out there, and then partly because of the writer's strike and partly because of writer laziness, they just drop storylines and characters right. just out of nowhere. And I understand that they graduate from high school and they move on, but give them closure because that's the point of storytelling is yeah. give them closure. Right. Um, Wrap things up. Yeah. It's, yep. it's you know. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I figured I'd bring it up just because my, you know, my, my opinion of it's a little different than general consensus. Yeah. But, but it, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad show, though. I think right. it's, it's worth it. I don't regret watching it or anything. Yeah. So. Was there any uh, honorable mentions or anything that you wanted to bring up uh, quickly? Two honorable mentions real quick. Alien Resurrection. I am actually a fan. Nice. After Alien 3, anything would have been good. <laughs> um, and and I just feel like Joss Whedon's work on the script just really jumped out. Uh, like Winona Ryder's uh, crew is essentially the prelude to the cast of Firefly nice. with uh, Ron Perlman playing essentially playing an R-rated Jane character. Yeah, cool. And it was just, it was just cool to see that. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, swimming aliens. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> um, yeah. And then I have one more that I'm going to save until you're ready to say it because we, we, it's the same one. Okay. Yeah. I believe. Uh, my honorable mentions were uh, Blade Runner. Um, I need to give that another shot. Yeah, that's what most people say because <laughs> what the hell? That movie has... 
it's it's very telling that there's like seven different versions of the movie. Yeah. Um, so I'm, but I don't think editing was the only problem with it. Um, right. It's a really cool concept. The you know the whole clone thing. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool concept for a movie, but I just don't think it was presented very well. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. I, I can actually compare it. It came out around the same time as the movie Dune, and That's I like right. the, I like the movie Dune. It's it's a mm-hmm. cheesy flick, but sure. I actually like the movie Dune better than I like Blade Runner. So I know you're going to hate me. And then my other <laughs> my other quick uh, mention will be um, it's kind of similar to the James Cameron one. Mm-hmm. When I think of Quentin Tarantino, uh, most people go you know Pulp Fiction or Glorious Bastards, something like that. But I actually think of True Romance. Ah, uh, yes, it's actually my, Christian Slater. Right, it's actually my favorite yeah. uh, Tarantino movie. I just I think the the love story in that between Clarence and Alabama is just one of the best. I, I really it's love really it. great. It's still better than Twilight. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just a, a straightforward plot. Um, and also my favorite my favorite Tarantino dialogue scene is in that movie between Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, whose name I couldn't think of. Yes, um, <laughs> I just I think that's 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 Tarantino's best dialogue work in my opinion. So. Uh, yeah, I would I would say yes, but also no. <laughs> no, I would I would say his best dialogue work is the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards. Okay, with uh, Christoph Waltz being his awesomeness just seeps through the screen. Being obviously evil. Yes, it's yeah. just two characters talking at a table, and it's yeah. just compelling. Like every time I see it, I think I would watch an entire movie of this. <laughs> um, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. But, what, was, what was the last one you wanted to mention? Um, the 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 much highly touted series Six Feet Under. The, you mean the pinnacle of television? The pinnacle of television. Pinnacle six of television. Feet Under, where <laughs> nothing happens and the characters are horrible and people just suck so much. Amen. Yes, it's a purely character-based drama that's driven by some of the most unlikable, whiny, pretentious characters I've ever seen on television. Absolutely. And... Like, I, I posted on my most annoying, annoying characters post on the blog that pretty much everyone that's not played by um, Peter Krause. Peter Krause or yeah. um, Richard Jenkins. Right. Um, particularly the, I can't remember her name, but. Um, the woman that Peter Krause dates. Yes, her name, her name is Brenda. Brenda. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried, tried to push that show from my memory for yeah. so long. Uh, she was just a horrible, horrible character, and by season five, we're expected to to like her or get a, get around to to liking her. And she does make some improvements by that by that time. And she's like, no, she's she's a horrible human being. I just don't, I can't get behind it. And it's by that point, I was kind of done with the show anyway. But mm-hmm. it was just annoying. Yep, that's yeah. understandable. And the fan the fan acclaim for it is just is un un. I don't understand it. It's it's beyond overrated. Yes, it's yeah. <laughs> it's like the Star Wars of television. Uh, and no listeners. We may have to pause it so we can fight. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm being facetious, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. So that pretty much wraps it up for our main points. Um, yeah. So, man, what uh, what are you looking forward to coming up? Well, um, let's see. Breaking Bad. I'm about to start my rewatch of that. Nice. Um, because the final episodes are coming, and I am so nervous and excited and sad to see it ending. Me but too. It's I'm. It's going to be amazing. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Vince Gilligan is just. He's he's incredible. He's a master. He really is, and it's going to be it's going to be a fun ride. Um, as far as movies, it's already come out, but I I am a Pixar fanboy, and I cannot <laughs> wait to see Monsters University because I mean I just love the characters from Monsters Inc. Monsters Inc. is one of my favorite Pixar movies. Oh, it's great! And even though Pixar hasn't really performed at the top of their game, and I don't fully expect them to perform at the top of their game with Monsters University, I'm still excited to go back to that world and see them at a collegiate level. Yeah. Um, it should, it, it'll be fun. That is it'll exciting, yeah. yeah. I, I bet Matt probably has more, uh, you know, I'm a creepy guy into theater stories than most people <laughs> because he's seen every Pixar movie in the theater like four times. True story. <laughs> Sitting in Toy Story 3, I am bawling my eyes out at the end <laughs> and there's this, this little, like, group of little kids like down the aisle from me. Like, they're like four seats away from me and I'm just trying to conceal the fact that I have tears streaming down my face. <laughs> And I'm, like, sitting there thinking, like, why did those parents sit them right there? Oh. Because it was, like, a matinee on, like, a Sunday, and there was no one there. And, like, they just went in my row. I'm like, dude, come on. 
so inconsiderate. Yeah, so I had to sit behind in the theater and kind of wipe my eyes. But <laughs> and I still can't watch the end of that without tearing up and yeah. getting choked up because it's just so powerful. Like they, they are really powerful storytellers, and it's absolutely it's it's incredible. They tug at your heartstrings. Oh yeah. So tiny. What are you looking forward to coming up? Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, a movie. I'm sure everybody's heard of it, or they've maybe seen the the preview for it. It's not quite out yet. It's called The Way, Way Back. Um, It's written by uh, Jim Rash from uh, Community. He won an Oscar a year or two ago for The Descendants. Yeah. Deservedly so. That was a really great script, really great movie. I I still haven't seen it. I used to check it out. Yeah, I really need to. Yeah, The Way, Way Back looks really good. Again, just a great cast. uh, you know, Sam Rockwell's in it, Allison Janney, Tony nice. Collette. Just a great cast. Will Forte from SNL is oh, in it. Oh, yes. I love Will Forte. Yeah. It looks, it looks, I think it looks like a really tight, really tight, good, good comedy. You know, like, nice. you, don't, you don't, you don't get them too often. Yeah. Um, I think it's from the producers of Little Miss Sunshine as well. Oh, great. I, I love I, I, I may be mistaken about that, but I think it is. Okay. So, yeah, that, yes. that, that looks uh, like it's going to be pretty good. Awesome. And then, yeah. uh, as far as television goes, uh, I'm actually going with Orange is the New Black. Ah, yes, the yeah. Netflix series coming out next month. Right, now that, that's something that a lot of people maybe not have heard of. Because, right. you know, it's Netflix. Yeah, um, oh yeah. And, uh, you know, House of Cards was their flagship series, and I right. think a lot of people had heard about that because mm-hmm. it's, you know, plus it had Kevin Spacey behind it. Yeah, and David Fincher. And David Fincher, so yeah. I think that's why people heard about that, but, I, you know, I hadn't even heard... A peep about this show until about a month ago. Right, I think maybe I might have mentioned. Yeah, I think Matt, yeah, Matt mentioned it. Yeah, because I I'd heard whispers about it, but I didn't know much about what it was what it was about or anything. I just kind of wrote it off like, oh, it's women in a prison. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah. Maybe not for me, but I saw the trailer and it looks really amazing. The trailer really brought it home. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it's Jason pretty much Biggs is in it. Who's that? Jason Biggs is in it. Jason Biggs is so random. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I can't remember who the female lead is, but she's basically an unknown, as far as I remember. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's 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 a pretty pretty unknown cast, but man, I, I was just really the, the the trailer for it really took me. It really got me. Absolutely, and I'm it just absolutely hooked me. I was like, I'm I'll watch that from the get go. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that one. Nice. So, yeah. yeah, I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I think that's pretty much uh, all we have for this episode. Um, first of all, for the ending, we wanted to give a shout out to our friends over at ExposureExpressNetwork.com. Uh, our friends Anonymous, Bill, and Doc, they allowed us to borrow their uh, recording equipment so yes, we could do this thank episode. You guys. So, yeah, we really appreciate that. Um, go check out their website. Uh, it's ExposureExpressNetwork.com. They have their own mm-hmm. podcast. It's pretty interesting. Um, and... Uh, Thanks for, turn, thanks for uh, tuning in today. Be sure to regularly check the blog at uh, obsessiveviewer.com for additional articles and opinions from both Matt and myself. Yes. You can follow Matt on Twitter at, at obsessiveviewer and me at, at obsessivetiny. And also be sure to like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. Yes. And don't forget to say a word. Or don't forget to say a prayer for our friends in Chester's Mill. Yes, those poor souls under the dome. Poor souls. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.